I don't know about you, but I was kind of um, surprise attacked by fall this morning. I got used to summer, mowed the lawn in shorts, let the dog out this morning. I was like, oh my gosh, is it cold? And um, speaking of surprise attacks, uh, you might be familiar with this painting of George Washington. Uh, If I have my history straight, this is a painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware River, which would commence the Battle of Trenton. This would have been Christmas night, 1776. And um, I doubt he was like standing on the edge of his boat as waves were crashing in around him. He was probably ducked down. But needless to say, this depiction of an event in the war that would kind of turn morale for the troops to let them know that, hey, they had a chance against the most professional and um, one of the most prolific armies ever um, to, to be on the globe, and that was the Great Britain. And as history would prove, uh, America, the United States, would actually win with the help of the French. Well, that's great, Don, but what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, today, we're going to see a little bit of a surprise from Jesus. And he's going to tell us about how his kingdom works. And it's going to be a little bit of a surprise to the people around them. And he's going to show us how his kingdom will advance. It won't advance like everyone thought it would. It would advance much, much differently. And as we look at Luke 13, 10 to 21, we're going to see that the liberating love of Jesus invites us into kingdom rest. That that Christ's love... it, it expands the kingdom and invites us into the rest of the kingdom. And if you're like me, you kind of wonder what Jesus is up to in the world sometimes. If he's doing what he says, and you're just kind of uncertain about how it's all coming together. But this passage this morning is meant to encourage us. In fact, it's meant to give us confidence that Christ is accomplishing the very things he said he would. So, um, let's let Jesus encourage us this morning. Turn in your Bible, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 10 to 21 together. God's Word says, As he, that is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, 
What can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word says that you caused light to shine in darkness. And so, Father, would you shine the light of Christ into our hearts this morning and reveal to us him? Would you show us Jesus today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to see God's kingdom work in three primary ways this morning, and the first um, is with quiet practices. Our passage drops us right into the middle of a scene, and the scene is Jesus is teaching at synagogue on the Sabbath. The scene is church on Saturday for these people, and Jesus is teaching. It seems like kind of a natural place for Jesus to be, teaching his people on Sunday. And if you're given the opportunity to have Jesus teach, if he says, I want to teach in your synagogue, you naturally say, yes. It's yes. If you always you pick Jesus every time over anyone else, and in that's what happens. Jesus is teaching. Now, if we if there was a camera, if this were a football game and the crowd was panning, uh, or the camera was panning over the crowd, you know they like to do this in football games and highlight like the different people who are at the game. Oh, there's the governor. Oh, there's the owner. Uh, there's Bob Kraft. Um, and then everyone's like, yeah. And um, they move away. And just a few weeks ago, we saw this where Taylor Swift was at the Kansas City Chiefs game and people lost their minds. I still don't really understand why, but they like, they kept showing her over and over again on TV. And cause that's what we like to do. We like to put our eyes on famous people, but that day the camera went to someone unexpected because notice who Luke, after he pans the crowd, who he fixates on, who he, he puts the camera on, not the person with the most money, not the person with the most prestige, not the person who's the most religious, not the person most famous. He puts the camera on, in verse 11, a woman. And it says a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. A disabled woman. And not only disabled, she would have been largely unseen in her culture. Completely looked over. As a woman, and as a woman who was disabled, she probably would have been publicly shunned. She would have felt like a nobody if ever there was a nobody in that society. And that is the person that Luke chooses to fixate on because that is the person our Lord fixated on that morning. And this woman, she was an unseen woman going to a largely unseen synagogue in the modern world at the time. Um, last week we spoke of the expectations of the Messiah, that, they were, that the people of the time were expecting a, a military Messiah, someone who would come with glamour and spectacle and pizzazz and even violence to overthrow Rome. But here's Jesus seeing this woman, this unseen woman, in an unseen synagogue in what was considered the backwoods part of the Roman Empire at the time. And this is Jesus. This is where he is. He is at this synagogue in this place. And he sees this unseen woman. 
He sees her, this unseen woman, in this relatively insignificant and unseen synagogue. It would have just been like any other synagogue at the time. And he sees her problem. But when he saw her, Jesus just didn't, didn't just see a woman with a disability. He saw her, who she was, and he saw the very root of her issue. You see, this woman at the time, she may have been shunned and considered less than because um, the society might have thought her disability was from a sin that she committed. So she's looked down upon in more than one way. But Jesus doesn't see that. He sees somebody whose disability was caused because she was disabled. The text says she was disabled by a spirit. This wasn't anything she had done. This was the influence of Satan. Now, to be abundantly clear, disabilities, by and large, are not because people are spiritually like under the influence of Satan. Don't hear that. But in this particular case, we know that this woman was. But Jesus sees her. He sees the brokenness in her life. He sees this woman in this insignificant part of town. This woman who was shunned probably because she was considered a greater sinner. He sees her. He locks in on her. And where does he do? And what does he do when he sees her? Well, if you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, the text says, when Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. Jesus sees this woman, and he moves towards her with great compassion. He looks her in the eye and says, woman, I see you, and you are healed and he touches her and immediately she's freed and begins to praise God. The unseen woman with an unseen problem in an insignificant synagogue in the backwoods part of town, she is seen and known and loved by God. He locks in on her and he is, she is healed. And where does all this stuff happen? what happens in kind of the everyday rhythms of her life. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, I bet this woman, she has gone to synagogue probably many times before. She's probably frequented synagogue, this very synagogue, over and over and over again, week in and week out of feeling, this 18 years of feeling shunned and overlooked by society, of being treated like a sinner and an outcast. And this is the place that one day, on one synagogue day, on one Sabbath, that she met Jesus in the rhythms of normal life. And notice that the mountaintop experience for this woman doesn't come from a conference, doesn't come from a retreat, doesn't come from a healing seminar, though God can meet people in all of those places too but it comes to her in the middle of her everyday life. And I think we should lean in a second here. Because, you see, this is the place where God's kingdom touches down. This is the place 
where God's kingdom chooses to advance itself. It chooses to go to the places that are unseen. It chooses to go to the places where there's spiritual decay. It chooses to go to the places that are hard. It chooses to go to the places where we live each and every day. Because that's where Jesus shows up. We can enter into, if you're like me, we can enter into the everyday spaces of our lives. Our working, our sleeping, our, our daily, daily activities and forget that those are the places that the kingdom of God wants to invade. That those are the places where God's kingdom touches down into real space and time and begins to change things. This woman, she met Jesus in a normal space of life. And I don't wonder if we just adopted a new mentality that as we enter the rhythms of our lives and as we invite God into those places that one day Jesus might show up in a profound way. The kingdom touches down in the quiet practices of everyday life. You want to experience God? You don't need a mountaintop experience. You need to ask him into your everyday life. You need to embrace rhythms like coming to church, reading the Bible, prayer. And it might just feel like a normal thing, but then occasionally Jesus shows up. Anglican priest and author Tish Warren, she comments about visiting a monastery one day and reading this and seeing this sign. And it said, everyone wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. And she said, I was and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole in beautiful and big ways. But what I'm slowly seeing is that you can't get to the revolution without learning to do the dishes. The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the making the bed, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. This woman was an unseen woman going about normal practice in Jesus shows up. It's in the ordinary places, in the quiet practices that Jesus shows up. That's where the kingdom touches down. In the unseen and the unremarkable, the making of the bed. But when Jesus shows up, how does he show up? Well, he shows up with deep compassion. Deep compassion. Jesus shows up with deep compassion, but the synagogue leader, he's not quite so compassionate. He's a, he's a bit more PO'd. He's pretty ticked off that, of what just went down in his synagogue. And why was he angry? Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And now as the synagogue leader, he probably felt a ton of pressure because the synagogue leader was in charge of arranging the service that particular Sabbath day. And he would have probably given Jesus the thumbs up to do the teaching. And now he's feeling like Jesus just broke the law. And there were lots of rules around the Sabbath. Lots and lots of rules about what you could and couldn't do on their Sunday or their Saturday. 
lots of little things to keep track of. And apparently, according to the synagogue leader, Jesus broke those rules. Back in Exodus, when God gave the Ten Commandments, it said this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And the synagogue looked at what Jesus did and he's like, that was working. And he is mad. And he broke some of their rules, their extra rules to keep them from breaking the Sabbath. So he tells the crowd, look, there are like six other days in the week when you can come and be healed. Come then. Save the Sabbath. It's kind of harsh, right? And Jesus will have none of it. None. He says in verse 15, if you have your Bible open, hypocrites. He says, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus begins to make an argument that says, hey, your ox needs water. And if your ox needs water, shouldn't a daughter of Abraham... Shouldn't she be freed? If your ox needs freed to go get water, shouldn't a daughter of Abraham be freed to find God, to find liberty, to find freedom? And he makes an argument based on comparison. So you see here on this table that there's an ox and donkey, and Jesus is saying, well, we have something greater than an ox or donkey. We have a, a daughter of Abraham. You've got an ox or donkey is bound, and this woman is bound by Satan, and you loose this ox or donkey, so he might be physically restored. Well, Jesus loosened this woman from her bondage so that she might be physically and spiritually made new. And he points out that there is necessity, that if it's, it is needed to do that thing, it is needed to do this thing. He shows that the liberating love of Jesus invites people into kingdom rest, that that is what the Lord is up to. And as one commentator put it, the clash of authority is not over the rules, not over the rules, but over who rules. And Jesus is saying that God's work is to heal and to liberate into a life with him. The leader wants to quibble over the rules, but Jesus shows that this is about expectations and about authority. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. And he has come to push back Satan and to bring in his kingdom into this woman's life in this very time. Jesus has deep compassion for people who are hurting, who are deep in sorrow and sin and pain. His deep compassion for the least, the low, and the lost. He has deep compassion over whatever pain you find yourself in this morning. The areas of your life that you think are lost causes, where it feels like you've been dealing with something for 18 years like this woman has, well, it's not a lost cause to Jesus. 
cause to Jesus. And He wants to meet you in that place with deep love and abiding compassion. So He might free you from those things so that you might enter into His kingdom rest. This woman was a lost cause in society, but she was not a lost cause to Jesus. And the religious people who could not recognize the Messiah right in front of them, this woman in the crowd suddenly get it and they glorify God. The religious people don't see the advance of the kingdom over darkness, but these people and this woman did. It's an unassuming kingdom. It's a kingdom that comes in compared to what they were expecting with this, the violence of, of overthrowing Rome comes in the quiet of a healing and a life change in the backwoods town. They don't see that this kingdom comes through quiet practices in the deep compassion of Jesus and has surprising growth. Jesus concludes his passage with a set of parables about what the kingdom of God is like. What is it like? And Jesus says, if you have your Bible open, verse 19, he says, it's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. And again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. So the kingdom is like mustard, and it's like leaven. It's like mustard seed, and it's like leaven that gets mixed into dough. And if you don't know anything about mustard trees, and I did not know anything about mustard trees before this passage, um, Let me tell you what Jesus is doing, because we often hear this story and we hear Matthew's version of it, which is about the size of faith. But Jesus is not talking about the size of faith here. He's talking about something unexpected happening. You see, mustard seeds are indeed incredibly small. They're very, very small. And when they grow, they don't grow into a massive tree. They grow into more of like a tree bush looking thing. But that's what Jesus is describing. So if you would have heard this, you would have been like, wait, you're talking about a mustard seed turning into a tree big enough for birds to come nest in. This is impossible. That's what you would have thought because mustard trees don't do that. But that's exactly Jesus's point. Jesus is saying that, listen, my kingdom, you don't always see it, but it's going to do what is unexpected. It's going to keep growing and growing and growing. And it's going to get so big that birds are going to come and nest in its branches. You don't think it's going to turn into anything, but I'm telling you, it's going to turn into something. And everyone's expecting something great, big, and glamorous, but I'm going to take this small thing. I'm going to take quiet practices and deep compassion And I'm going to take good news. And I'm going to change people's lives. And this message is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. My purposes will be accomplished. And it doesn't seem likely, but it will happen. That's how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God touches down in small ways around the world. And Jesus is saying that it doesn't seem likely but it's going to grow. It's going to look like it's falling away, but Jesus says, it doesn't seem likely, but it's going to keep growing. You know that the, like where the church is growing the most is where you would think 
it would grow the least. Go to China. The church is booming. Go to South America. The church is booming. Go to Iran. And the church is blowing up. Why? Why is it doing that? Well, because the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed that grows into a big tree. It doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem possible, but that's what God does. When the kingdom touches down and changes lives, it's just going to keep growing. It won't come with military violence. It'll come in small places. Look at what Ezekiel says. This is interesting. It says, this is what the Lord God says. I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and plant it. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and I will plant it on a high and tiring mountain. I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. Then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the tall tree and make the low tree tall. I cause the green tree to wither and make the withered tree thrive. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. What God is saying is that he will pull the nations down and his kingdom will be the thing that grows and grows and grows. And the picture of birds coming to nest in its branches is symbols of the nations being invited to rest in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will take over. It will. And Jesus is saying that this is how his kingdom comes. So when you look around the world and you're wondering, God, what are you up to in the world? Or God, what's happening? Jesus is saying, listen, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. Mustard seeds don't grow into big trees, but my kingdom will. Kingdom's like leaven. You don't always see it, but when it gets mixed into 50 pounds of flour, it's going to affect the whole thing. Everything will change. The kingdom of Jesus isn't always spottable. It's not the way the kingdoms of the world work. It works in a way that's entirely different. And Jesus, for the past several weeks, is saying, listen, you've got to get in on my plan. I say that, that blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Blessed are those who hung, are hungry now, for they will be filled later. That's what the good life looks like. That's what my kingdom looks like, and it is coming. So you need to get in on the plan of Jesus the Messiah. You might think that God's kingdom isn't doing anything, but God's kingdom is growing. He is going to see it through. And it's touching down, and it is growing. And friends, the kingdom of God can touch down in the ordinary places of your life, too. The places of quiet practices where God meets with deep compassion and causes surprising growth. Jesus does this miracle on the Sabbath to invite us into kingdom rest, trusting that he will accomplish exactly what he said he will. So I want to ask a question. What are the places you feel like you need the kingdom of God to touch down in your life right now? Where are the places of brokenness in your life right now? Where are the places of difficulty? Where if Jesus showed up, it could change things? Is it in the staleness of your marriage? And in the cold-heartedness 
towards your spouse? What would it look like for the kingdom of God to touch down there? Because it can. Is it in your parenting? In the lack of patience you have with your kids? And as you strive to cultivate a relationship, struggling to get through to them? Is it that's the place the kingdom needs to touch down? Well, God wants to take His kingdom to that place. It is in your vocation or your work. It's just a grind. What would it look like for the kingdom to touch down and change the way you think about your work? Is it in your struggle against sin? Because you keep falling over and over again. Well, that is the place where Jesus wants the kingdom to touch down in your life and change things. Those are the places. It doesn't look glamorous, but it really changes things. It isn't gossip. It isn't what you look at on the internet. Is it in your lying? Is it in your anger? What are the sins where the kingdom needs to touch down in your life? Because Jesus wants to meet you there with deep compassion. Because he sees you and he wants to invite you into a life of kingdom rest. Is it in your pain? Pain over what's been done to you. Pain over who hurt you. Pain over relational fractures you have in your life. Pain over difficult seasons. Jesus wants to meet you with deep compassion. That is where He wants His kingdom to touch down. Jesus saw the woman bent over, unable to stand up straight because of being bound by Satan. He met her with deep compassion and He will meet you with deep compassion too. He is not reluctant, but he is eager. So friends, take heart. God's kingdom is still advancing. It's advancing in ways that you don't expect. In one day, Jesus will let his kingdom grow and grow and grow until the nations find their rest, until we perfectly rest in it. The liberating love of Jesus invites us into kingdom rest. So we run to Jesus with those areas of our lives. And we can run to Him because He first ran to us. He lived the perfect life. Died the death that we deserve. And so we run to Him because He ran to us so that we might know His liberating love and be invited into kingdom rest. Trusting that He is working out His plan in your life, and in this world. And we can be sure that He will complete it because this Savior came and He didn't just live a perfect life, but He died a death. And He didn't just stay dead, but He rose again. And we believe that this is a real truth. That Jesus didn't stay dead, but that His heart beated again and that His lungs filled with air and that He walked out of the grave. And if this is true, then His kingdom will come to fruition exactly as he said because we worship a savior who is once dead and is alive again and who is now ruling and reigning and overruling all things and so we come to jesus and if you're here this morning and you've never come to jesus i want to plead with you not to take communion this morning but instead run to jesus himself who's eager to meet you with deep compassion and love run to jesus On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. For every time you eat this bread 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we experience the fullness of that kingdom rest. Until then we wait and we let Jesus build our faith. So after I pray, you can come down the center aisles, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice and and take it or take it back to your seat, whatever you'd like. Let's pray.